Welcome to day number 13 of the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake Farley, and we are going to start our Old Testament reading off with Genesis chapter 28, and we'll read all the way through chapter 29. Verse 1 of chapter 28 says, So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him, and said, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women. Instead, go at once to Padamaram, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. Hashtag weird. You should not marry your uncle's daughters. Obviously, that is my interjection. Verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children. And may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he promised to Abraham. And may you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner. For God gave this land to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padam Aram to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel the Arminium. Esau knew that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padam Aram to find a wife, and that he had warned Jacob, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone to Padam Aram. It was not very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters in addition to the wives he had already had. His new wife's name was Mahalan. She was the sister of Nahabim and the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Pause. That is a beautiful promise for you and I, friends, if you are a follower of Jesus. Because we have that same promise, that Jesus is with us. We may have to go through some things we don't want to go through. We may have to go places that we never want to go and would never wish anybody else to go. But the good news is we have God with us. Jesus is with us. And what he's promised us is that one day we will be in a kingdom with him where there literally is no sin, meaning there is no death, there is no pain, there is no tears, there is no sickness, there is no fighting, there is no arguments, there is no jealousy, there is no envy, there is no anger. There's none of this um, because Jesus has and will fully culminate his kingdom. That's the promise we have. The promise Jacob is waiting on is a different promise that has already been fulfilled, but it stands for us uh, in a different way, that we have God with us. So I don't know what you're going through today, but I pray that this would encourage you, that as we read this text, we would see and you would hear these words, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I finish giving you everything I promised you. I hope that you hear that today. Verse 16, 
Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Pause here. This would be the first time we see the tithe in the Bible, at least as far as I can see it, as he gives one-tenth of all that he has back to God which is a theme that carries throughout Scripture. And in the New Testament, I believe uh, we are freed from the command to tithe, uh, but uh, we are still uh, would be wise to tithe. It's an amazing discipline to tithe, to give 10% of what you have. It's an act of worship. Uh, really interesting as we see that first here in Genesis, and it's a theme that threads throughout all of Scripture. Chapter 29, verse 1. It says, Then Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. He saw a well in the distance. Three flocks of sheep and goats lay in an open field beside it, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. It was the custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the well. Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, Where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran, they answered. Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor, he asked. Yes, we do, they replied. Is he doing well? Jacob asked. Yes, he's well, they answered. Look, here comes his daughter Rachel with the flock now. Jacob said, Look, it's still broad daylight, too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and goats so they can get back out to the pasture? We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived, they replied. Then the shepherds moved the stone from the mouth of the well, and we water all the sheep and goats. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, and his mother's brother, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from its mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, and he wept aloud. He explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side, the son of her aunt Rebekah. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban, as soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban explained, You really are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, You shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The older daughter's name was Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Let's just pause here for one of the most epic verses in all of Scripture. What a wonderful way of saying one girl is pretty and the other is not. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. <laughs> it says, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. That is just... I don't even know how to provide commentary to verse 17. That is just wonderful. Verse 18. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years. If you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Which is like not a compliment at all. I don't have anybody else to give her to, so yeah, you take her. Continuing on. 
Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days, to which we would all say, aww. Verse 21. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Ziphel, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? I, this is one of the parts of the Bible that really befuddle me, just to be honest. I do not understand how it took Jacob until the morning to realize that he was with Leah and not Rachel. But nonetheless, he was tricked by Laban. And we see this story continue on here in verse 26. It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, and then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. Yeah, no big deal, just another seven years. So Jacob's going to be out of it, right? No, verse 28. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Wow, so we see a lot of problems here. Uh, Jacob now has two wives. That would be the biggest problem. Laban is a liar, and now Jacob is stuck working another seven years for Laban. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. He was named Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me, since I have given him three sons. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. Really a sad ending there, as we see Leah just searching for love, and yet Jacob did not love her. Moving on to our New Testament reading, Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 38. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of the synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said. But you can bring her back to life if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe. For she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around and when he saw her there, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. This is a very interesting section of scripture. Uh, especially as we look at the woman who was bleeding. Uh, she did a very big societal no-no by touching Jesus because Jesus would have been clean ceremonially. And by touching him, um, she, being an unclean woman because she was bleeding, would have risked uh, for Jesus making him unable and unfit to be a part of the community. So if it was a normal person, it wouldn't have been good at all. But she had faith that Jesus wasn't a normal person, and she reaches out and she touches him. And instead of Jesus being made unclean, what's interesting is she's made clean. I love that about Jesus. Same thing he does today. He hangs out with sinners. He reaches sinners. 
And we don't make Jesus sinful. Jesus makes us clean. He makes us pure. He makes us righteous through his grace. Verse 23. It says, When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept to the entire countryside. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened, and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, Don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this had ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said he can cast out demons because he is empowered by the prince of demons. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord, who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Lord, we do pray that you would raise up workers. Lord, maybe somebody listening to the sound of my voice right now would one day be a pastor, would one day be a shepherd in your body. Lord, I pray that all of us, um, as a priesthood of holy believers, as we are described in the book of 1 Peter, uh, Lord, would take this serious, that we would go out into the fields and lead people to the one true shepherd, who is Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Moving on to our proverb of the day. And we will be in Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Psalm 11 will be the psalm that we pray through today, and I would, as always, encourage you to take some time to go back and do this portion by yourself. Uh, hopefully my prayers would help spark prayers in your own life. But as I read a verse, God might lead you in a completely different direction, which is what I love about praying the Psalms. Psalm 11, for the choir director, a Psalm of David. I trust in the Lord for protection. So why do you say to me, fly like a bird to the mountains for safety? Yes, Lord, we um, want to be people who look to you for our protection. People will try to find protection uh, in so many different ways. Some people think that they are protected because they have a lot of money. Some people think they find protection in sucking up to and worshiping the right people. But Lord, none of those things or any other things that people could run to for protection are where we find our protection. We know that in your son Jesus, we have been given direct access to you, the Father, uh, and God, that your Holy Spirit is with us. You are a triune God, three in one, something our minds can never understand, and yet we get to run to you, the Father, Son, and Spirit, for our protection. Lord, help us to remember that. Uh, when everybody else is running elsewhere to find meaning and purpose and protection, uh, Lord, that we would remember we go to you and you alone. Verse 2. The wicked are stringing their bows and fitting their arrows on the bowstrings. 
They shoot from the shadows at those whose hearts are right. The fountain of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. Wow, what a beautiful verse, God. That, that when the world seems to have collapsed, when there's political upheaval, when there's war, when there's war in our personal lives and upheaval in our personal hearts and minds and thoughts, this verse 4 of this psalm stands true. You are in your temple and you rule. Continuing on in verse 4, he watches everyone closely, examining every person on earth. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. God, as I read this, I know that I am among those who love violence. I am wicked. I am not righteous. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, I get to be counted righteous. Because he lived the life I could not live, and he took on my sin and gave me his righteousness. Died the death, the penalty for my sin, and then rose again. I know that, Lord, I get to share in that. I will one day rise again. Um, Lord, this is the gospel message, and it's because of Jesus that I've been made righteous, and I get to live in your presence. I get to seek your throne. Even after messing up again and again and again, Lord, your grace is never ending in Jesus. Verse 6, He will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punishing them with scorching winds. For the righteous Lord loves justice. The virtuous will see his face. Lord, we do thank you that you are a God of justice. And moreover, we thank you that you are a God of mercy and that because of Jesus, we, and uh, just personally speaking, I will not have to face judgment for what I deserve, but I will face the rewards for what Jesus has done on my behalf. Uh, What an amazing, amazing honor, Lord, that I'm kind of virtuous and I get to see your face one day. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this reading today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I personally enjoyed today's reading greatly, and I hope that you did as well. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at myascent.churchcenter.com. Your giving really does make an impact on the local life of our community. Perhaps maybe you could begin the discipline of tithing as we saw in Genesis. And if you're listening to the podcast and you're not a part of the Ascent family, we are so glad you're here. Uh, And if you would like to give to support the podcast, you can also do so at myascent.churchcenter.com. My name is Blake Farley. We were reading today out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, and we'll be back here tomorrow for day number 14 of reading through the Bible together.